If you have your Bibles, I'd love to encourage you to join me in Proverbs 31. As I acknowledged a moment ago, I recognize that this is one of those passages of Scripture I think we all imagine we have figured out, not in the sense that we're living it out, but in our expectation of the truth that is contained in it. What I want to try to communicate to you this morning is a renewed awareness where we are not striving to fill out this chapter as a checklist, but rather understanding the heart, the driving force, the motivation behind this Proverbs 31 woman. You probably, as I referenced, cringe just a little bit, ready to feel inadequate or shamed or guilted. You might even ask, as verse 10 does, who can find a virtuous woman in the sense of right? Who can find her? Does she even exist? One said this, after all, not everyone has good business sense or good opportunity. Many don't have the gifts and creativity to make clothes for the family. I don't know if I've met anyone who is both a morning person and a night person like this woman is. She's outside of the norm. She's beyond what I can strive for. It's a bar too high. But I would say to you, if she makes you feel guilty or inadequate, it's because you're misunderstanding the intent of Scripture. If you only look at what she does, she probably will only inspire guilt and shame. May I remind you that this chapter tells us the virtuous woman does have maidens, which means if your husband says to you, you have to do everything that the Proverbs 31 woman is doing, you can look back at him with biblical foundation and say, then hire me staff. If you hire me staff, I'll do everything this woman is doing. At which point, we all know he's way too cheap to do it. He'll lower his bar and everybody will be happy. Life goes on. Not the intention for you to feel guilty or ashamed or to look at this passage as a laundry list of to-dos, but rather sense the spirit and the motivation that drives her. Understand that as we return to the moorings of Scripture, as we return to the foundation of Scripture, it enlightens our understanding of life as God intended it to be. Our world rejects the absolute truth of Scripture. I think our world fears the teaching of Scripture because they don't truly grasp what is contained in it. Certainly the definition, the ideal, the role of a woman has been perverted within our culture and unfortunately that perversion has crept its way into the church. In fact, principles like submission, motherhood, as described in scripture, are viewed by most of our culture as one wrote, as relics from some past dinosaur age which men dragged their wives around by the hair and killed elephants. It's just antiquated. It's just not for us. It belongs in some historical book somewhere. It's not real life and yet it is. Organizations like the National Organization for Women have for decades been calling for what effectively constitutes the end of marriage and motherhood as we know it. In fact, one wrote, we must fight the institutionalization of the oppression of women, especially the institution of marriage. Now, I comprehend that not every marriage is idyllic. I understand that not every marriage is God-honoring. 
But the fact is, you don't throw away eternal truth for a moment in culture. Another said this, freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriages. One of the successes that they would trumpet is the legal right granted to a woman to end the life of her preborn baby. Regardless of the fact that as science has advanced, it has been revealed that life certainly begins at conception long before birth. Our world believes that if children ever should arrive on the scene, you have the right to abort or to let someone else raise them so that your lifestyle is only minimally impacted. But Scripture does no such thing. Scripture does not diminish the role of motherhood or the role of the woman with a passage like Proverbs 31, but rather elevates it. The reality is that to get rid of motherhood is to abandon the foundation of family, to lose the greatest potential role of influence known on the planet. I certainly don't say everything about him was good, but Napoleon once said, let France have great mothers and France will have great sons. Theodore Roosevelt said, the mother is one supreme asset of the national life. She's more important by far than the successful statesman or businessman or artist or scientist. Perhaps you're familiar with Abraham Lincoln's statement, all that I am and hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. Scripture does not denigrate the role of a woman when it articulates the principles of submission. Principle does not diminish a woman when we read Proverbs 31, but rather elevates it to a divine ideal, grasping that this is God's intention according to His sovereign plan. In fact, in verse 10, after we read who can find her, we'll note, for her price is far above rubies. Her price is far above rubies. That statement suggests that if a virtuous woman could be bought and she cannot, that she would be expensive. Her price so great that most could never afford her. This speaks to the value that God sets on her. Her price is far above rubies. God values this. We should value this. What God values stands out in stark contrast to what culture values. Which means for us to align ourselves with the truth of Scripture is to always put us at odds with modern thinking. And that's okay. As we arrive here at Proverbs 31, I say yet again, I don't want you to see it as a checklist, but rather I'll give you some goals to strive for in her heart set. Some of her driving motivations. The first thing I note about her is this. She's faithful. Strive for faithfulness. Be faithful. Verse 11 says this. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Faithfully, she does good. In Proverbs 12, Solomon said, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. She's literally, according to Proverbs 19.14, a gift from God when we read a prudent wife is from the Lord. Again, if we return to the cornerstones of scriptural truth, it has practical fallout. If husbands begin to view the wife that God has given to them as she rightly is a gift from Him, we begin to pursue life with her differently. We begin to comprehend the New Testament passages that tell us how we should love her as Christ loved the church. 
That we should dwell with her according to knowledge. We begin to understand things differently when we see things biblically. She's a gift from God who strives for faithfulness. This woman fears the Lord and wants to love and honor her husband. Her husband, in turn, confirms her efforts. He trusts in her. She's faithful. Does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Even that implies on days when it's really hard to want to do him good. Even when he doesn't deserve it. Even when there's some anger on the inside, faithful to do good, loyal, steadfast in devotion and allegiance, constant, staunch, enduring, that's what faithfulness is. This faithful person keeps the faith of those who put faith in them. I find it interesting how she navigates life, this virtuous woman, in pursuit of faithfulness. What is the motivating factor to this faithfulness? I note this in verse 30. Favor is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Favor is deceitful. She comprehends that her faithfulness is not motivated by how she is perceived from the outside. In effect, she grasps that she's motivated to do the things that she does, not for the praise of other people. She, in effect, doesn't care what other people think about her. She has already advanced in spiritual knowledge to the degree that she knows beauty is vain. It's empty. In the sense that the New Testament will teach us, the beauty, the adornment that she is striving after is that of a meek and quiet spirit. She knows she is pursuing spiritual beauty. I acknowledge that beauty is vain. You say, be careful now. Your wife will hear this message. Beauty is vain. Does that mean that it's empty? Does that mean that it is pointless to pursue in any way? No. I'm all for makeup. (laughs) All for hair to be done. I'm all for self-care. But what we must acknowledge is this. That attraction is fleeting We will not always be young. I have arrived well into year 47. I was rounding the steps the other day. As I went to go down the steps, I lead with my right leg on the steps. As my right leg hit the top step, my knee shrieked out in pain. I had to go down the steps like this, just not wanting to bend my knee. You get all the way to the bottom, and you're asked, what's wrong with you? I have no idea. I think it's just a 47-year-old joint. Now everybody says, well, just wait till 57. Just wait till 67. I'm not wishing it away, and I don't want to be you. (laughs) I get it. Beauty is fleeting. She understands, does this woman, that beauty is fleeting. It's vain to pursue that as the end goal, but rather spiritual strength and meek and quiet spirit as we learn in the New Testament. Favor is deceitful. It's not about what you think of me. Rather, her beauty runs far deeper. She loves the Lord. She's faithful to the Lord, so she's a blessing to others. I love how one summed this up. You don't get the impression, he wrote, that she gives much thought to what others think about her at all. This woman who trusts in the Lord is finally free to be truly strong. She isn't worried about things over which she has no control. She trusts God to help and care for her and her family in all the ways that she cannot. Then she works to do the things she can. 
It's a loving God who is sovereign over her family's future. Her part is to live, work, and love in a way that honors God. He's responsible for the rest. Strive for faithfulness. She's generous. I'm careful when I say this, and I don't want it to be misunderstood. Clearly, this woman is not obsessed with me time. In fact, we read she does not eat the bread of idleness. She fills her time with helpful activity. Now, if there were a moment in Proverbs 31, as I read it through, that I feel like this woman sets an unreachable bar, it is this. I never note anywhere in here, in the midst of all that she is doing and accomplishing, any spirit of murmuring or complaining. That's what I'm really adept at. I can bear up under a great burden as long as I can complain about it. This woman does these things because she is generous and her generosity allows her to carry all of these things out without murmuring or complaining. Generosity is simply giving without expecting anything in return. It's a selfless act of kindness that has the power to make a difference in someone's life and it can take on many forms. I note this, this woman in Proverbs 31 gives of her ability. She is gifted by God with graces and then graciously she expends her gifts on others. She's generous in Proverbs 31, 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ship. She bringeth her food from afar. She considereth a field, verse 16, and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. If you read those four verses and try to do everything this virtuous woman is doing, you'll fall short. You don't even know what flax is, and neither do I. No, I know flaxseed oil. Good, all right, whatever. And I dare you to try to describe your wife as a merchant ship. (laughs) Not smart. There's nothing about her that is ship-like. She's not planting a vineyard. But what is being communicated is this. Strive for generosity in the use of your abilities, your gifts for other people. That's what she's doing. She's taking the graces that have been given to her and she is employing them to be gracious for others. She's generous with her ability. She's generous with her time. Tending to the need of her children. Tending to the need of her husband. And by the way, they're all needy. Kids are hungry all the time and husbands are worse. No doubt, they get sick, they're broken. Sometimes they just need somebody who cares and she gives her life, she gives her time to those she loves. Notice verse 15. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. Verse 18, she perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. This woman is up early, up all night. We can't strive for that, but what we can strive for is generosity with our time. It's one of the most precious things that we have. She is providing in the night for those that she cares about because she loves them. We have two children. I am glad that we are beyond our kids waking up in the night. However, we have entered into the phase of wondering when they will get home at night which is sometimes worse. When our kids would get up in the night, I can be honest, never, never did they come to my side of the bed and say, Dad, Dad, 
But a thousand and one times they'd go to her side and say, Mom, giving us both a heart attack, panicking us, and then delivering some great news like, I'm thirsty. (laughs) Okay. Or I've puked all over everything. And as soon as I heard puke, I would just, I'm out. I'm out. I didn't hear anything. Did they come down last night? I didn't. I didn't know that. When you read something like that, you're thinking to yourself, this woman's lamp doesn't go out by night. She's perceiving that her merchandise is good. She's in the night giving meat to her household. What in the world? I can never be this virtuous woman, but you can strive for generosity with your time for those that you love. And honestly, that drink or snack in the middle of the night is Proverbs 31 virtuous. It's generous with your time. She gives her effort Verse 19, she layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands to the distaff. Verse 21, she's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Verse 24, she maketh fine linen and selleth it and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing and she shall rejoice in time to come. This articulates to us, she is generous with her effort. She is laboring, she's working, she's lightening the load. This is virtuous. You say, I've never once have I delivered a girdle that I made to a merchant. Okay, but you can be generous with your effort. She's giving her effort. She gives her love. She's moved by compassion to make a difference in the lives of others. Verse 20 says this, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor. She's giving to the poor. She reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is motivated to lift up the downtrodden, to give voice to those who have no voice. To help those that are oppressed. It's not about the action of reaching out the hand. It is the motivation of compassion that drives it. She gives her love. She's generous. I can't do everything that she's doing. I don't have maidens. I don't have the same opportunity. I've never been out in the yard to plant anything. But what I can strive for is faithfulness. What I can strive for is generosity. What I can strive for is kindness. She's learned to guard What James would tell us is a dangerous thing, the tongue. Verse 26, she openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She offers counsel. She's one of the greatest resources of counsel within the home. She offers counsel to her children and to her husband. She's gentle. She has a way of soothing the hurts of life. One said, whether it's the boo-boo suffered by the child or the hard blows of life that have left one defeated, she has the power to lift with the gentle medicine of her tender spirit. Gentle medicine of kindness. Our world desperately lacks kindness. There is a famine. There's a dearth of kindness. And here, if we set our thinking biblically, we have a resource right in our home with us. That is our mother, dictated by the law of kindness. She's guided by it. When she opens her mouth, wisdom comes out. She doesn't respond with anything but gracious words. She's not a gossip. She doesn't speak foolishly, not wickedly, no evil intent, no malice, no harshness. Her speech is gracious. Words of preservation, not destruction. 
Even when correcting others, her tongue is governed by the law of kindness. I think I have a biblical reason now why I was always more afraid to get in trouble with my dad than my mom. She was governed by the law of kindness. My father had no laws. It was a lawless society. It was just trouble. This virtuous woman is kind. This virtuous woman is generous with the gifts and the graces that she has been given with her effort, with her time, with her love. I can strive for generosity in what I have been given. I can strive for kindness when I open my mouth. Ultimately, what overrides all of this is not some checklist to chase after, but ultimately, it's simply Christ-likeness in the form of a virtuous woman. This is what we're driving after in the New Testament over and over again, even when the Apostle Paul tells the believers at Ephesus, and be kind Tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Let this be something we all pursue. Faithfulness, generosity, kindness. Every time I come to a Mother's Day or a Father's Day, you recognize that you are basically preaching from a platform of the idyllic home. And yet you sit here and you think, I never had the virtuous woman as my mother. I myself have blown it, or I have a home that has been torn apart. I don't have a mom. I have something that is vastly different than this. Let me help you. In verse 28, we read this. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. How long has it been since you said thanks to your mom? How long has it been since you, as a husband, acknowledged that your wife is worthy of praise. You know as a man, God did not give you your wife so that you could have someone to dominate. God did not give you a wife so that you, like a fat little king, could sit on your tiny little throne with your little scepter in your hand and get a sandwich anytime you wanted it. You say, why did you go there? The fat little king really hit home, man. That's the point. It's not for you to dominate like a little Napoleon. He gave you a wife. He gifted her to you so that you could demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Don't pervert that within the home environment. Praise her. Say thank you. In verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. In effect, in due time, she'll be rewarded. Somebody's in here and they're thinking to themselves, "Ah, nobody ever says thank you. Nobody ever praises me. Let me help you to understand something. God in heaven is taking careful notice of your life. Nothing that you do goes unnoticed, nor will it go unrewarded. You say, yeah, but I'm not from that environment. This is still too idyllic. So you said say thank you. So you said praise. So you said my works will ultimately be rewarded. And you gave me the fat little king on a scepter on a straw. I'm using that one. But what about the fact that you've already wrecked it or it feels like everything's a mess? Let me help you with this simple fact. Proverbs 31 is the recording of Lemuel. Lemuel simply means unto God. It's a name of dedication. It's another name for Solomon, and Solomon is writing explicitly to us concerning the teaching that his mother gave to him. May I remind you that Solomon's mother would have never been up for nomination as mother of the year. 
She would have never been considered housewife of the decade. Rather, she was Bathsheba who had carried on an illicit relationship with David, who, by the way, was anything but a stellar father. He did not do a good job in his home. One author said this, A search of Scripture turns up one rather surprising truth. There are no exemplary families. Not one family portrayed in such a way as to evoke admiration in us. Many family stories, considerable reference to family life, sound counsel to guide the growth of families, but not a model for anyone to look up in awe or envy. Adam and Eve are no sooner out of the garden than their children get into a fight. The sons of Noah are forced to devise a strategy to hide their father's drunken shame. Jacob and Esau are bitter rivals and sow seeds of discord that bear centuries of bitter harvest. David, a man after God's own heart, Israel's greatest king, but he cannot manage his own household. All of that is true and more. 24 months preceding Solomon's birth... David has the affair where he takes Bathsheba unto himself. Due to the relationship she is with child, he tries to hide his affair by murdering her husband Uriah, bringing her into the house. In this dispensation, and particularly in this moment, the prophet declares unto him that the child that will be born to Bathsheba will die and does so. Is it over Can you ever recover from such a terrible chapter in life? Is it irredeemable? Can it never be brought back around again? Psalm 51 tells us, David confessed and it was genuine. It is evident by the language that we have here and even in Samuel's account that Bathsheba also confesses. Let's peek in in 2 Samuel 12 when we read this. And David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in under her and lay with her and she bare a son and he called his name Solomon. And get this, and the Lord loved him. This was a special boy. God loved him and had great plans for him. His mother loved him too. That's what we read in verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, this child that's been dedicated unto God, Solomon. The prophecy that his mother taught him. This imperfect woman had the audacity to communicate truth to her son. This sinful woman who made a mistake and is a part of this illicit relationship with David, this woman had the audacity to still teach righteousness to her son. And you say to yourself, so it all worked out for Solomon? He never had any women problems? Mm. Well, he did. A lot, like a lot, lot, like like a lot. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So is it futile? No. We articulate the truth because even if we are sin-filled beings, we're not irredeemable. We confess. We're right with God and we teach righteousness. What if they don't catch it? What if it doesn't all work out in the end? It's not the fault of the truth. We stick to the scriptural moorings. We stay to the spiritual facts. Teach it. It doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a template. You've got Proverbs 31. You don't lack that love because your heavenly father picks up all of those who are fatherless or motherless and he loves on them. There's a reason that the church family language is used. 
This is what God has gifted to us. We can make it to the finish line in a God-honoring way. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to do it all, but you can strive for faithfulness. You can be generous. You can be kind. You can strive for Christ's likeness. And overriding all of this is in the midst of a world that tells us, stop it. We can value the things that God values. And when we think biblically, we begin to live rightly. And that's all the difference in the world. Would you bow your heads just for a moment, please? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.